All right, guys, today we're beginning a new teaching series through the great Old Testament book of Daniel. This is going to take us all the way through the fall, going up to Christmas. Uh, but if you're, if you're new to Doxa, let me just kind of tell you this, guys. Our, our propensity as a church family is really just to study books of the Bible together. All right, that we really believe that this is a book that God wrote, and in it are actually words breathed out from him for our good to teach us something of who God is, who we are, his great love for us, and really our great need for him. And as we gather like we are right now, we tend to just go through books of the Bible, kind of slow and steady, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, just to hear from God. And I, and I really believe that this book that we're getting get, get into today, God wants to do a profound work in our lives that Daniel is gonna fan this into flame and it's gonna be an awesome journey. And so if you don't have a Bible, because we would love to to give you one. I I talked to the Doxa men yesterday morning as we gathered and told them like, hey, we need to have God's word because we're lost without it. And so if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can stop at Info Corner at the end of the coffee bar on your way out. We'd love to give a couple uh, to you for your family. But if you do have a Bible, turn to the book of Daniel. Chapter one, we're gonna be there today. I'm gonna attempt to kind of introduce this book to you today, teach through the first chapter in time to get back for the Packers kickoff, okay? So we got a lot of work, it's at 7.20, so buckle up, right? But uh, by way of introduction, all right, let me just start with this. All right, the book of Daniel really just spans a time period from about 605 BC to 539 BC. And though it's somewhat of like an oversimplification, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel are really just about the man, Daniel. And then as you get into chapters 7 through 12, it's really the message of Daniel or the prophecies that God gives to him to give to people. And overall, like really kind of through the narrative of Daniel and the prophetic visions that we're going to get into in several months, really Daniel just encourages people to just trust God in his sovereignty, That the big idea of the book of Daniel is this, is that there is one God and he's in control of everything. And as you think about that, guys, the truth is every nation in the world today has presidents or kings or elected officials and leaders, but every nation of people ultimately has one king. One king ruling over all and his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the Lord of Lords, he's the King of Kings, and he's ruling and reigning from his throne in heaven over every tribe, nation, and tongue. This is Jesus. And Jesus, as he walked on earth, physically on earth, before his death and resurrection, he actually spoke about Daniel. And he called Daniel a prophet. This is Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. And as he called Daniel a prophet and spoke about Daniel... Right? He, he validated both the man, Daniel, and his message throughout this book that we're going to study. And as always, it ultimately always comes back to Jesus. Because Jesus, through his resurrection, where he kind of just came back from death, what he did is not just beat death, but he validated and vindicated all of his claims to be God. And as God, he is coming to us today, and he's saying, this is Daniel. He is my man. He's my prophet. Listen to him. All that you're going to learn through this book is ultimately from the very mouth of God to help us to know him and to know ourselves. And as we walk through Daniel, okay, we're going to learn a number of different things, all right, a lot of things. First, guys, Daniel gives us the meaning of history maybe more clearly than any other portion of the Bible, 
that through his narratives and his prophecies, we're gonna see and really learn of the hand and the will of God accomplishing his purposes and his decree in mankind throughout the past, our present, and even into the future through into eternity. That as, as people, as mankind, we have ways and thoughts and plans, but ultimately, it's the will and the plans and the decrees of God that will prevail. And we can trust in God's power. We can trust in God's plan because he is good. And Daniel is ultimately gonna show us this. All right, secondarily, all right, Daniel's gonna show us what it looks like to live for God in ungodly times. So this is gonna be an extremely relevant teaching series for us. I think it's very timely, but also timeless. Because throughout this book, we're gonna learn about a place called Babylon. If you've been around the church, if you know your Bible, you've heard about Babylon. Babylon is mentioned in the first book of the Bible. It's scattered throughout the Bible, and it ends with talking about Babylon. But Babylon is actually a really significant place to understand even secular world history, but more specifically from a biblical world view in understanding our world today. Because Babylon, when we understand it, it's incredibly helpful for us to understand the entire book of Daniel. Because as we get into this, guys, the book of Daniel is really just an account of a man who is in the ancient city and nation called Babylon. And I want you to understand this. Babylon really represents the hub of idolatry. All right, Babylon just exists to to represent to us just godlessness. Godlessness that exists in our world today. And this goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 11 that we studied maybe last year or two years ago with the account in Genesis chapter 11 of the Tower of Babel, right? This is the land of Shinar, which is gonna be mentioned in the first chapter of Daniel. And there we saw where God's people just kind of came together and they said, you know what, forget about God. We don't need God, we're actually our own gods. We're gonna do our own thing, become our own way. We're gonna make our names great. We don't need God. And so Babylon is really a picture of rebellion against God. It's complete disregard for God. But I want you to hear me on this. Babylon is not just an ancient city that was terribly evil. But behind the ancient city of Babylon is a spiritual reality. That behind the city of Babylon is just a demonic influence in opposition to God. And if you're newer to the Bible, this might sound strange, but I wanna tell you this is so important for you to understand because the storyline in the worldview of the Bible is this, is that there is one God. And God, that God created everything, everything that we see and know. And before he created humanity, he created spirit beings called angels. And these angels, these beings were in the presence of God. They were in relationship with God. They were worshiping God. But there were some, just out of great pride, that declared war on God their creator. And they tried to overthrow God and they, as king and they tried to establish their own kingdom This is Satan, we know how this story goes. Satan and the other angels, they lost that war. They're cast out of heaven to earth, out of the presence of God. They're no longer angels, but they're demons. And ever since that day, they continually seek to do the same thing that got them kicked out of God's presence. They seek to destroy all of God's creation, which includes humanity, which is the pinnacle of God's creation that bear his image. Because this is what Babylon represents. It's so incredibly important. It's not just an ancient city, but it's a demonic spiritual influence. 
And if you're familiar with your Bible, you should be thinking about places in the New Testament where we see the authors speaking about this in a number of different ways. If we look to the Apostle Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul frequently refers to it as the world, the world that's in opposition to God. The book of 1 John that we just went through a couple months ago, John talked about the Antichrist, and he said there is an Antichrist, but there's also many Antichrists, and so it's the spirit of the Antichrist. And so what we're talking about here is the kingdom of God at war with the kingdom of man, the kingdom of the world, which is influenced by the same demonic spirit of Babylon. And I want you to know that the spirit of Babylon is alive today seeking to oppose God's glory. It's seeking to oppose his words, his works, and his ways to really keep the people that God created and loves away from him. And this includes you. It includes me. That this demonic spirit of Babylon has been and is at work in every culture, in every nation, throughout every generation. And when we understand this, Daniel is not just a book about what happened back then, but it's a book about what always happens. And it's a book about what happens today. And so, Doxa, we live in the midst of a great conflict. We know this throughout the scriptures. You see this. You might not name it like this, but we all feel it. It's the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness, of of Satan, which is represented by Babylon. And just to give it some, like, traction, I want you to know, in antiquity, all right, the spirit of Babylon was at at work in places like Sodom and Gomorrah. Even if you don't know your Bible, you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah and you're like, that place wasn't good. Exactly, right? The spirit of Babylon was at work in ancient Egypt with Pharaoh who denied God, who elevated himself above God that led to just a nation filled with enslaved people in mass murder. In more modern times, the spirit of Babylon was at work behind the scenes in like Nazi Germany with the genocide of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that bear the image of God. It was demonic because it was an attack on the people who bear God's images, God's image, which made it really just an attack on God himself. And then even today, guys, the spirit of Babylon is at work in the trafficking of human beings. It's at work in places all around the world where people are enslaved and oppressed and tortured and killed by oppressive dictarians. Like they're just... It's the spirit of Babylon that is really just kind of behind the scenes that is driving the world, the culture, the nations against the ways of God. It's at work in education. It's at work throughout media and culture which seek to just turn all of us against the ways and the words of God. I want you to know that the spirit of Babylon is alive today and it's promoting agendas that are just anti-God and seeking to take over every sphere in our world today from sexuality to politics to marriage to gender to you name it. To really just bring a counterfeit way of living that is opposed to God and his design. And so the point is this, because Babylon is a symbol of the evil system representing the kingdoms of this world that are in opposition to the kingdom of God. And when you read the book of Revelation, which is kind of Daniel's New Testament counterpart, it says that all the nations have drunk of her wine. And so it's not like the United States that is Babylon, okay? Some of you are like, yes, it's Babylon. It's not the United States, it's Babylon. It's not Russia that is Babylon. All right, it's not Madison that is Babylon. 
You need to know this. But the spirit of Babylon is a system that influences all nations and all cultures throughout all of history in ways that oppose God. But here's the awesome part of this. At the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 18, it says this, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And so while the spirit of Babylon, the work of Satan has been working and will continue to work throughout all nations and cultures, we know that Jesus will in fact come back and he will put an end to this war. And he will come back and he will enter in and usher in his kingdom that will last forever where there will be no sadness, no suffering, no sin, no death. It will be just joy. And Christian, this is the day that we wait for, right? And we long for, amen? That day where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Fallen, fallen, fallen is Babylon. But until that day, here's the big question for us. How do we live for God faithfully? in Babylon? How do we live for God in a time that doesn't acknowledge God and doesn't love God? The book of Daniel, let's get into this, chapter one. It's gonna help us to know how to do this by showing us what the spirit of Babylon does and then giving us a picture of Daniel who lived faithfully to God in the midst of all of the pressures of Babylon. So chapter one. Verse one, we're gonna first see what Babylon does. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. I want you to see what Babylon does. All right, what Babylon does, Doxa, is it exerts great pressure on humanity to turn from God. This is what happened in the ancient city of Babylon, but it's also what happens to today. So I wanna show you three pressures of Babylon that we need to be aware of. If you're a note taker, the first one is this. There's a pressure to enslave you. If you look back to verses one and two, we see that we have King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacking King Jehoiakim of Judah. And at this point in human history, the 12 tribes of Israel were torn north and south all right, following the death of King Solomon in 922 BC, and the northern kingdom retained the name Israel, but the southern kingdom took on the name Judah. And then in 605 BC, all right, Babylon, at the height of its fame, its fortune, its prowess, its power, they invade Judah and take God's people into captivity, making them slaves. And so God's people at this point in 605 BC, they really just become prisoners of war. They were ripped away from their homes, they were ripped away from their people, their land, 
and they literally walked themselves to Babylon. It was just a terrible situation. Now, we always talk about this, but it's important to ask questions as we read the Bible, right? And one of the more obvious questions and and clear questions that we need to ask in this, especially coming off of this series where we were talking about the character and the nature of God, is this. If God is a loving father, if he's like a sovereign king, then why would he let his own people be overrun by an enemy? Why would God do that? Because we know the story, right? God led his people. His people were enslaved in Egypt. He led them out of Egypt miraculously, saved their lives. He promised to give them a promised land. He leads them into the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, this land that was, they were going to prosper in and live. And he got them there where they were to worship him and live for him, set apart for him. Why would God allow this to happen? Here's what you need to know. God disciplines his children that he loves. This is an important truth that you need to grab hold of. We see this in places like Proverbs chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 12. God disciplines children that he loves. And Jehoiakim, if you study the history of the world, Jehoiakim was one of the worst ungodly kings that Judah had. And for hundreds of years, God's people were ignoring his words and his ways. And God was so patient with his people and he continually warned them over and over and over again through different prophets. And he's telling them, if you don't turn from your idols, if you don't stop worshiping other gods, if you don't stop ignoring my will and decree, I'm going to discipline you. I want to show you just a couple of these. Take a look at this. Here's what the prophet Isaiah said. Over a hundred years before this actually happened, in Isaiah 39, Isaiah said, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming. He's speaking to Israel. When all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Listen to what the prophet Micah says in chapter four, verse 10. Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. And I'm not going to spend much time on this at all, but if you would doubt and deny the historicity and the validity of the Bible, you really have to figure out what you're going to do with sections of Scripture like this. Because throughout the Bible, what you see is you see a series of promises and fulfillment, prophecies and fulfillment. And this is surrounded by the birth of Jesus, which we're going to celebrate in Christmas in a few months. But it's also here. This was prophesied and it's coming to pass. But here's what I want you to understand. When you read Leviticus 25, we see that God gave his people his promised land. And not only did he give his people his promised land, but he actually gave them instructions on how to live in that land, to flourish in that land. He gave them instructions on how to manage that land. And that God is a creator, and so that he owns everything. He's sovereign over all, and the things that he gives to us, we are really just in a place of stewardship. Right? This, is the, this is the book of James that we studied several years ago. James says that every good and perfect gift that comes to us is from the Father above, and so we don't own anything. We are stewarding what God gives us. God gives the Israelites this promised land and says, here's how you use it. And he tells them, every seventh year, the land gets to rest from farming on it. 
And in those days, they probably were like, why, that seems like a dumb rule. Now we understand with advancements that we have, with agriculturally, I'm not a farmer, but I know this, like the land needs to kind of replenish and nourish itself. And so you can't perpetually keep doing it. And so God said every seventh year, let it rest. This was God being good to his people, making sure that the land was healthy and that his people were healthy. And so he says every seventh year, the land rests from farming, but God's people just ignored him. Hear me on this. They did not listen to him for 490 years. 490 years. And before I go any further, can we just recognize and look at the patience of God? God is so patient. He's patient with you. He's patient with me. 490 years. I mean, you parents in here, you talk to your kids, right, for a day and repeat yourself like 10 times. You're losing your mind. And then you discipline them so they can learn. Babylon was their discipline so that they could learn. But he waits 490 years out of his patience. But then this discipline comes. And if you do the math, the people were supposed to give the land rest every seven years for 490 years. And they didn't. And so they're disciplined for 70 years that they disobeyed. Doc, so guess how long God's people will be in captivity in Babylon? 70 years. Here's what I desperately want you to know. All of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our wickedness, everything we do in opposition to God will be accounted for, and we will pay God back for all the wrongdoing that we have done. And you might be in a place right now, like the Israelites, you're sinning, you're not doing anything that God says, you're in total opposition to him, and you're like the Israelites for 490 years. God isn't doing anything, I must be cool. And you're living your life in this way and saying like, man, I think I'm getting away with this. I need you to know you're not getting away with anything. God is in fact judge and we will answer for everything. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10. Paul says this in Romans chapter 14 that we all stand before God one day and give an account for everything that we have done. And if you have come to Jesus in faith and you've asked him to take your sin and he's given you his righteousness, Jesus has you covered and there is salvation ahead of you on that day of judgment. And there is great reason to sing and rejoice and have joy and hope. But if you're here and you have not come to faith in Jesus, this should absolutely just stop you in your tracks and honestly, it should terrify you. Because without Jesus, you're really just storing up the wrath of God by your sin. And the day that you meet Jesus face to face, if you have not come to him in faith and dealt with your sin issue that we all have, there is gonna be no salvation, it's only gonna be condemnation and damnation. That just like the Israelites who were storing up God's wrath by disobedience and then had to pay for that discipline of captivity, you're storing that up with your sin. You need Jesus. This is what this church is all about. You need Jesus, we all need Jesus. And I love you enough to tell you this hard thing and some of you are like, I knew I shouldn't have come. I don't need somebody yelling at me and telling me I'm bad. You need to know that you're bad because you need to see how good Jesus is and how much he loves you. He has made a way for you no matter how bad you are. He loves you and you need Jesus. 
And we don't want to see, I don't want to see anybody stand before in judgment. I want everybody to escape the terrible reality of hell. And the only way to do that is Jesus because he is the only one that can forgive sin and give us new life. The spirit of Babylon will seek to confuse you and blind you and keep you a slave to your sin. But I really believe that God is so patient and loving and that's why you're here today. You're not here on accident. That in his patience and his love, he has brought you here so that you can see Jesus and you could come to know him. Don't be a slave to Babylon. Secondarily, Babylon exerts a pressure to change your thinking. All right, look back to verses three and four. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them. I want you to circle that in your Bible. To teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. All right, here's what's going on. Daniel is a teenager at this point. Do you know that? I mean, we're tempted to think of Daniel as like this big, burly dude and like really strong for God. He's maybe 15, 16 years old at this point. So as a teenager, he's drugged into slavery by his captors. Now imagine the influence these anti-God, grown men, Babylonian teachers had on him and his friends. And this was like a war tactic, a brilliant war tactic of the Babylonians at the time. Because what they would do is they would invade, they would take captive like elite, prominent, moldable young men and they would try and reprogram their way of thinking. And these Babylonian teachers, they would really just indoctrinate them with their ways and their culture that were directly opposed to everything they had learned throughout their life about God. And today we actually know for certain that this is kind of what they did. Because we, through like archaeological discovery, we have like writings from Babylonian times of their, of their historic writings on economics, of spirituality, of religion, of epics, and so much more. And Daniel and his friends, they went through three years of these teachings. And the goal of Babylon was to change their way of thinking, really, to kind of just brainwash them so that they could eventually send them back to their own people and change everyone into a Babylonian so that the Babylonian empire would expand. And here's what I'll tell you. The spirit of Babylon is alive today. And the pressure on Christians to change our thinking is everywhere. From social media, to books, movies, news reports, education, it all shapes and changes the way that we think. And it's so important to realize that the world, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of man that opposes the kingdom of God is in large part against the words, the ways, and the words, or whatever that is, the ways of Jesus, right? Where it's opposed to the ways of God. And this is why it's important, guys. This is not throwing a stone at the world and saying, this is evil, this person's evil, this candidate's evil, this curriculum's evil, because we listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in places like Ephesians chapter six. And he says our war, our war is not against flesh and blood. It's not against Madison, it's not against the president, it's not against the teachers and the school board, but it's against what does Paul say? The spirits and the principalities that are behind all of that. 
But I need to say this. This spirit of Babylon that's behind the scenes influencing every culture and nation will try to twist and pervert and discredit and change all that God has said and all that God has designed, all that God has decreed, and all that God is. And if you know your Bible, you should be thinking back to Genesis chapter three because this is where Satan started. He started in the garden, confusing humanity on God's word, twisting it, perverting it, which led to sin, which led to all the destruction and suffering in our world today. But he also continues to do it today by distorting God's design for marriage, in gender, in family, in work, in identity. And we're just inundated with all of this. And this brings about an intense pressure to change the way that we think. And so there's a pressure to enslave us. There's a pressure to change the way we think. And thirdly, the spirit of Babylon exerts a pressure to change your worship. Look at verse 6. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. And so as Daniel and his young friends were being enslaved and indoctrinated, they were also given new names. I want you to take a look at this image up here. All right, this is so significant and relevant for you to understand this. All right, the name Daniel literally means God is my judge. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects his life. Bel is one of the demon gods of Babylon. The name Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is the personal name of the God of the Bible, and we know that Jesus came and said, I am Yahweh. Hananiah's chain, name was changed to Shadrach, which means the, at the command of a coup, which was another pagan god of the Babylonians. The name Mishael means who is what God is? While Meshach means who is what Aku is. Azariah means Yahweh is my helper. Abednego, the servant of Nebo, yet another false god. Here's the point, Doxa. You need to understand this. Satan doesn't care which god you worship as long as you don't worship Jesus Christ. Because he knows that you can spend your life worshiping other gods, false gods, other religions, and that will do nothing for your problem of your sin that is keeping you from God, keeping you from eternity in heaven. And so he will let you go and explore every spiritual realm that you want to, but he does not want you to come to Jesus because Jesus is the only way to find forgiveness, to find eternity in heaven. It's always Jesus. And Satan, one of his great schemes is he will come to people and he is influenced in the kingdom of the world and he will say, there is absolutely no absolute truth. Worship any God that you want. They're all the same. It all leads to the same place. There is no heaven. There is no hell. You just cease to exist. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. That path is through Jesus. And that path is singular and exclusive, but I want you to hear this. That path is wide enough for you. It's all-inclusive, meaning anyone can come. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter how much money you give, how much you look, if you smoke cigarettes, if you, what. It doesn't matter. It's only Jesus. All you need is Jesus. It's always about Jesus. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but Jesus plus anything ruins everything. It's only Jesus, and we all need him. And in these times, the Babylonians removed God's name from these young teenage boys 
to cause them to forget about God and to worship another God. And today in our country, God is being removed from public places and from schools, and it's doing the same thing. The spirit of Babylon, the great work of Satan, is behind the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of man. And this name-changing illustrates us an important principle, that the way we think about God, the way we think about ourselves and others, determines and drives the way we live. Babylon sought to control this and change these young boys' worship. Now, that's what Babylon did in this ancient city, and this is what the spirit of Babylon does in our world today. But what was it that Daniel did? Take a look at verse 8. I want you to, this is my favorite, this is awesome. Underline this. But Daniel resolved. But Daniel resolved that he wouldn't defile himself against the king, or with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for seven days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let, that's a, that's a, the vegans love that verse, right? They love that. Sorry, I'm not making fun of vegans. I'm, I was doing so good. Jeez. Verse 13. Oh gosh, my face is hot. God. Verse 13, then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food to be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food and the wine that were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, was none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. I want you to see the posture, posture and the preparation of Daniel, and verse three is key. Daniel's posture. But Daniel resolved. Daniel and his friends, in the midst of this intense pressure from the leaders and the culture of Babylon, they stood up and almost like a steel rod was replaced their backbone, and they just said, hey, we can't do that. No. To resolve means to like firmly stand firm and produce a, like a, a direction of action, very firmly. And we see this of Daniel here, and we're going to continue to see this throughout the book about how he resolved. But Daniel, listen to this, Daniel never changed his way of thinking about God. He never swerved from what he had learned about Yahweh, but he learned and he clearly excelled in the training of the Babylonians. But with all that he learned, he, you have to get the sense that he ran it through what he already learned from God's word. 
This makes me think of places like Joshua 1.8, where it says to meditate on God's word day and night, not letting it depart from your lips so that you might be careful to live it out and live according to God's will and God's glory. This is why we seek to be a Bible-saturated church, so we know the word of God. Daniel also resolved to not let his convictions and his actions change. And we'll see this more in weeks to come, but here he refused to eat the king's food, which Daniel in this time likely saw as unclean according to Mosaic law. And he also, it was also in those times offered to, to false gods before it was eaten. And then in addition to that, eating a meal together, having communion was really just kind of saying we're in agreement together. And so Daniel resolved and he stood firm to his conviction. And he said, I can't do this because it will defile me. It will make me unholy before God. I will be breaking God's commandments, even though it was likely very risky for him to do this. And very awkward, his life stayed true to God. And even though, look at this, guys, even though his name was changed, Daniel never referred to himself as Belteshazzar. The Babylonians called him this to try to get him to change his worship and to change the way that he thinks so that he would forget about God. But Daniel stood firm in his identity, in his commitment to God in the midst of Babylon, and he referred to himself as Daniel. Not Belteshazzar. And let me just pause and ask you this, okay? Are you resolved like that for God? In the midst of great pressure from the world and culture and friends, do you live faithfully to God like this? Or is there a lot of blending and compromising that marks your life? This would be something so good to talk about at your connection group this week. Where is the Babylonian mentality prevalent in your life? Babylon was all about pride and greed and excess and self-glory. Where do you need to resolve to live for the glory of God? Talk about that in your connection group. Now let me say this. Daniel resolved and stood firm, but guys, I want you to, you can't miss this. Look how he did it. Verse 8. Daniel resolved that he would not be defiled with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Doc said, Daniel resolved, but he did it in a humble, winsome way. He was winsomely resolute. He didn't throw stones. He didn't attack Babylon. He didn't attack the the eunuch. He didn't belittle him. He didn't make enemies, but he was humble. And I'll tell you this, there's going to be things in our world today where much like Daniel, where we stand underneath the authority of God's word and we have to say, I can't do that thing. I can't believe that thing. I can't can't accept that thing. But as we speak those words, as we stand firm, as we resolve, we do it in a humble way with the goal that people would see the glory of God and be one to Jesus. We don't try and make enemies. Daniel didn't hate the city of Babylon. I know some of you in here, you love your Bible, you love Jesus, and I've heard you say it, I hate Madison. It's so anti-God. I want you to know that Jesus loves Madison, and he brought you here for a reason, just like he brought Daniel to Babylon for a very specific reason, and it's to exist for the glory of God and the good of the people of this city that God loves. And he didn't hate Madison. This is Jeremiah 29. He said, exist for the good of the city. Love that city. Make that city prosper. Humble. The last thing. How did Daniel get to this place, right? Because you look at this guy, you're like, where did he 
Like, what Bible was he reading? Like, I need, like, spiritual steroids, right, this 14-year-old had. Real quick, let me show you Daniel's preparation. First, I would submit to you that it was, he was prepared through the scriptures. Okay, so Daniel was born in 622 B.C. Any history nerds that know what incredible event happened in this year? King Josiah of Israel, a godly great king, opened the doors of the temple that had been sealed shut, and he reestablished the word of God among the people. And they began to teach the scriptures. And so Daniel grew up being taught the word, and the word prepared him to know what is true. Second, Daniel was prepared by his parents. We don't really know anything about Daniel's parents here, except they named him Daniel, which means God is my judge. And so his parents had to have feared the Lord and known the Lord. And so he was raised up fearing the Lord, knowing the Lord. His parents guided him in that. Parents, if you are not guiding your children to know Jesus and love Jesus and obey Jesus and teaching them your word, his word, you're missing it. For the sake of your kids, teach them God's word. They need you. You're the only ones that can be their parents. They need God's word. And then finally, it was the Lord that prepared him. Verse 9, God gave him favor and compassion. Verse 17, God gave them learning and skill and wisdom and ability. God gave them physical well-being as they ate only vegetables. He was preparing them and helping them and giving to them. And this is who God is. He's a giver. And as God gave, it set the stage for the greatest gift that God gives, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now look at the awesome part of verse 21, the last verse. And Daniel was there until the last year of King Cyrus. This doesn't seem like much, but check this out. This verse fast forwards 66 years when Cyrus, the king of Persia, takes over Babylonia in 539 B.C. And so mighty Babylon gets conquered and ends, but Daniel remains. Daniel outlasts Babylon. And Daniel would be about 80, over 80 years old at this point. But I want you to see kingdoms rise and fall, but God's people go on forever. They go on forever. This is the future fate of the children of God. That nations and empires and kings and presidents, they will come and go, and one day the children of God will be standing with Jesus, ruling and reigning in the kingdom of God, and you, if you know Jesus and have put your faith in Jesus, you will be there with Jesus, with Daniel, because that's where Daniel is, he's with Jesus. And we will be in the family and the kingdom of God, and so let this give you some courage, let this give you some confidence, let this give you some hope. This is coming. And if you don't know Jesus, God in his love and his patience has brought you here so that you can come to Jesus. Ask him today to take your sin, to give you his righteousness, and commit to following him for the rest of your life. The big idea is this, is that Jesus is king, live like it everywhere. Book of Daniel, I'm way out of time. But in a very fitting way, we're gonna take communion together. I'm gonna ask you to grab this cup and and go ahead and stand up. We take communion to remember Jesus. And as we take communion, we just say, thank you, Jesus. We say, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for overcoming Babylon. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your prayer. 
Thank you for your power. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your, our hope, our help, our salvation. We just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Amen? It's always about Jesus. And we just say thank you through communion. And so as you take the bread and hold it in your hand, I want you to remember the crushed body of Jesus. His body was literally broken for you. And we just say, Jesus, thank you. It's the body of Christ broken for you. Thank him and celebrate and take. As you look at this juice, thank him. And I want your mind to go to the blood of Jesus that was shed for you, that by his stripes you have been healed and through his blood you have been made clean. And we just say, thank you, Jesus, for your blood. The blood of Christ shed for you, thank him and take him. Doc, so we have an awesome God who's worthy of our, our praise, and we're gonna sing to him right now. So let's lift our voices and thank Jesus.